Amen. Amen. Okay, open your Bibles or your devices, whatever, uh, to Matthew 5. Uh, we are doing the, a message series called the Sermon on the Mount. And we are walking through each scripture. And usually the scriptures are, you know, in little paragraphs together. Uh, how many of you know when the Apostle Paul, uh, you know, wrote the New Testament or when Matthew wrote this book, they didn't write a chapter and verse, right? These are, our, these are our ways, you know, if you pulled out the old scroll, you know, you found the old Dead Sea Scroll or whatever, and you started looking at something, it wasn't like chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 2. But when people write, they write in these groupings. And so there's passages of scripture that kind of work together. And what I want to say is this. And I'll talk about it a little bit here in a minute. But I think this is important. As a church, as a people, as a believer, I never want us to take one scripture alone and stand on it. What I want us to do is to take multiple scriptures that all correlate to that promise. Because we know that scripture interprets scripture. And many times we'll point, we'll pick out a scripture that how it pertains to something and we'll use it, use it totally out of context. And so in this, as we go through Matthew chapter 5, I want to pull in other scriptures from other areas of the Bible because scripture interprets scripture. And I think it's important that the themes that we see all throughout his entire word remain consistent, remain true, and are really the same from the beginning all the way to the end. From Genesis to Revelation, it is all very much the same. It's God's ultimate plan of redemption for his people, and he did it through Jesus. That, does, that sums it up. There you go. <laughs> he has come, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and he's coming again. Amen. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read 17 through 20, and then we'll break down each verse. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, meaning the Old Testament. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Jesus, the ultimate fulfillment of the scripture. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, now I'm reading New King James Version, and I'll give you the translation in a minute. One jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Now maybe there's some English scholars out there. You knew what, that word, what those words meant right away. I did not. I knew the concept of the verse. But anyway, I'll explain that in a minute. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. Like, I'm looking forward to get to that verse. Like, what is Jesus saying? He's saying that our righteousness in order to get into the kingdom of heaven has to be greater than the church leaders that were there during those times. That's exactly what he's saying, and I want to explain that to us. I think it's very important. All right, verse 17. We're going to break this down. Verse 17. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So Jesus, when he came, he does not do away with this entire Old Testament. He doesn't do away with, and it says, the law and the prophets, meaning the law 
which is the beginning part of the Old Testament, and the prophets, which is sort of the, the second part of the, of the Old Testament. Jesus says, I did not come to destroy all that. I didn't come to wipe it all away, to say it's not valid anymore. It doesn't work anymore. What Jesus says is, hey, guess what, guys? I came to fulfill it. I came to fulfill every word that was previously written. I have come to fulfill those things. So how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus fulfill this destiny? Number one, he fulfilled the demands of the law. He fulfilled the demands of the law. So if you look at the law and you read it, and all the things that, you know, about sinning, about breaking the law, about breaking the covenant, about breaking the Sabbath, all these things, you'd be like, how is that possible? How is it possible that we can go do this? But Jesus, church, he fulfilled the demands of the law because he lived a perfect life. You and me, uh-uh. From the moment you woke up to the moment I'm talking now, uh, uh, not one of you was perfect this morning. Sorry, you may think you were, but I'd like to have a conversation with you afterwards. I want to go line by line, step by step, every thought you had, everything you did, everything you said this morning so far. Okay, we don't have to do that. You get my point. None of us are perfect. But Jesus lived a perfect life of obedience to the law. In Hebrews 14, or Hebrews 4, verse 15, it's not up there, you'd have to write this down, it says that Jesus was tempted... Church, Jesus was tempted in every way just as you and I are, yet he was without sin. Doesn't that bring you some hope? Isn't that refreshing to know that the one we serve, the one who laid down his life for you and me, was tempted in the very same way you were tempted this morning? However that might have been, the person who cut you off, the child who continues to want to wear summer clothes, and it's 45 degrees out. You cannot wear that outfit, Maggie. She's not here. God bless her. Okay? So, he was, I mean, he didn't have kids in that sense, but the Bible says he was tempted in every way that we are tempted. In every single way, yet he did it without sin. So how can we not just stand there and say, Jesus, help me. I need you in this situation. I invite you into this situation. He fulfilled its demands of the law because he lived a perfect life. Only he can say that. Only he was able to do it. And no one else ever will be able to do that. He was tempted in every way, just as we are. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going through, Jesus has been through it. Like, well, he wasn't a mom. Well, he led people. Everything that we're tempted with, he has been through. And he has conquered it. And he is our help in our time of need. The second way that he fulfilled the demand of the law is that he took the law's punishment for our sins. Church, this is so huge. We could talk about this for weeks. Jesus took the punishment of, you read the law, you read the sacrifices, you read what had to happen, you the blood sacrifice, you know, you got to bring an offering for sin, you got to bring an offering for this. He fulfilled all of that by going to the cross. It says in Galatians 3.13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. 
He redeemed us from it. We no longer have to experience it. We no longer have to have a destination of going to hell. He redeemed us from the curse of having to go and to death for all of eternity. He redeemed us from it. He made a way. The Bible says the only way to the Father is through him. It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by redeeming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hung on a tree. He paid the price. He bought it with his own life. He fulfilled the demands of the law. Second way that Jesus did this, how he fulfilled the Old Testament and the prophets, was that he fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. This absolutely, like if you're a statistical person, a mathematical person, or you just like, you know, probabilities, you know, like, uh, uh, actually, Ma Maggie, again. Everybody watch the movie Spirit? You guys know the, the movie Spirit? You know, the horse, you know, and the, you know, okay, the whole thing. Well, at the very end, there's this scene where the horse and the, and the rider who's on the horse, they look at this cliff that they need to jump over. Like, this is huge. There's one mountain here, one mountain here, and there's this massive opening. And the, the rider gets on the horse, and they're like, and the horse is like, oh, no, no, no. And he's like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this. And they start running and they jump and the music's going and, you know, the guy's, you know, flying through the air. The horse is flying. And Maggie goes, that's impossible. <laughs> she's so accurate. She's like, she's like, dad, she's six. She's like, dad, there's no way that that is possible. Like the distance and the speed that they're, I'm like, because it was playing on the car and on her DVD. I look back, I'm like, what? She's like, this is impossible. There's no possible way that this could happen. It's impossible. And whenever I hear the word impossible, I think of the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. It is impossible for a book to be written over 400 years by over 40 authors in different languages in different countries with different prophecies saying that one man will come and fulfill all of these things, born in Bethlehem, from Nazareth, born of a virgin, all the, well, that in and of itself, okay, there's a possibility, right? So all of these things come, even throw that one out for a second. The statistical probability that one man, Jesus, was able to fulfill all of these prophecies is impossible. It's impossible. It can't possibly be. But God. But God. So how did Jesus fulfill all of these prophecies? Because God made it be. Because God made it so. So he fulfilled every one of these Old Testament prophecies. And if you look at that, you know, the statistic, uh, statistical probability, it's like, you know, 1 times 10 to the, I don't know, 120th power or something like that. That's a lot of zeros. Anybody who remembers math class. 120 zeros is a lot of zeros. Means basically it was impossible. He fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And then the third way that we see that he fulfilled the law and the prophets is that he revealed the true meaning of the law. He revealed the true meaning of the law. So you look at this law and say, man, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. Why would I do this? Why would I do that? Here's why. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Says, oh, no one, anything except to love one another. The law, all of it, the true meaning of the law is love. That's what Jesus was. That's what God is. It says, for the commandments, 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You guys, you guys know the Ten Commandments, right? You shall not covet. This is written in Romans by Paul. If there's any other commandment, they're all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. That's written in Romans. Love is, so Jesus came to fulfill all parts of it and to show us the true meaning of the law, which is actually love. Because he loved us. God so loved the world. Verse 18. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law Till all is fulfilled. So Jesus is confirming something here. And he says these words, I say to you. That means, listen up. I'm telling you the truth. So pay attention. I am saying this to you. He is confirming the continuity of the authority of the law. It means that just because I came and I have fulfilled all of this word, doesn't mean it doesn't mean anything anymore. In fact, quite the opposite. And quite in fact, it means these few things. It means that God's word stands forever. Church, God's word stands forever. The Bible says in the beginning, and then it says it will not pass away. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. And it says in Matthew 24, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Church, the end of the book says Jesus is coming back. Guess what's going to happen? Jesus is going to come back. Yeah. Wow, shocking. So because he came, it doesn't nullify this stuff. And, and the Old Testament and then the New Testament as it's written when Jesus is alive and then post, you know, with Paul and all the letters uh, to all the different churches, God is telling us that his word will not pass away. Not only will it not pass away, but that every part matters. Every word that he has given matters. This jot or tittle means the smallest letter or the smallest stroke of a pen. So I'm, I'm talking about my kids a lot today and all the ones that aren't in here. My Ruby Lou, and I don't know where she got it from, maybe a friend of hers that may or may not be in here, writes so small. You literally need a magnifying glass to see it. Now look, I'm late 40s, okay, and I, you know, I, don't, I don't currently wear any cheaters, but let me tell you, I don't know what power of cheater you need to read Ruby's writing, but it's got to be like 2.5 or greater. There's no doubt. Maybe three, maybe four. She writes so small. But it's interesting. This is, what God, this is what Jesus was saying is the smallest letter, the smallest stroke of the pen, if God said it, it will happen. If God said it, it will happen. And we look at the word and we look at all the prophecies that are yet to come. If he said it, it's going to happen. And I want to encourage you this morning that it's not just even in the word of God. I know for a fact that as long as we heard from God correctly, and many of us do because we get confirmation and it lines up with the scripture, it's if he has given you a word, it will come to pass. Stand on it. You know how often I go back 
And I think I told you this before. I had this note in my phone. It's like, you know, seven things the Lord told me to go do. And that's what it started with way back in 2010. But I write down every word from the Lord that I've gotten either directly from him or prophetically from somebody else, someone that I trust. And I write it down. It is now, I believe, over 20 pages long, like 11 font, minimal margins, single-spaced, okay? 20 pages of words from the Lord that he has given me, some paragraphs, some one-liners, that I go back and I read them. At least twice a year, I'm like, let's print, because I don't know what I did with the last version. Print. And the word of God, to me, what he has told me, begins printing out on my printer, and I grab it, and I just read it, and I read it, and it encourages me personally, Jason Ackerman, the words he gave me, And I want you to do the same as well. If you haven't started journaling or writing down or putting somewhere things that the Lord has told you and shown you, I suggest that you do it. Because when you go back, you begin to read it and be like, man, he actually said this was going to happen. This actually came to pass and it's encouraging. Or there's something that says, you know what, I'm holding on to this promise, God, because you told me this was going to happen. And I believe that was a word from you. And I'm going to stand on it. I'm going to stick to it. Because the Bible tells me that his word will not return void. The Bible tells me that not even the smallest stroke of the pen, even my sweet Ruby Lou's handwriting, something that small that you would seem or feel is insignificant in the grand scheme of things, if it came from God, it will come to pass. God's word stands forever. Every part matters. Verse 19, whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I believe what he's doing is beginning to call out the Pharisees and the religious leaders, because he gets into it a little bit further in the next, uh, in the next verse. But here, as I, as I study this, read that we must practice and teach all of it. And that's what I said in the beginning. A lot of us want to take just a certain scripture or certain one, this is one little thing, and we want to apply everything to it. But the whole Bible, this is the word of God. This is the word of God. All of it is the word of God. And it's all a story of God's redemption of mankind. And it all works together. And people get all worked up about whatever it is. Let's just pick women in leadership. And they get all stirred up and torqued up because they see a verse in here. But you know that from the beginning of time, God and Jesus himself have been promoting and encouraging women from the beginning of time. He's been encouraging and promoting women from the beginning of time. But we take one little thing and then we wrap ourselves all around it. But if you look at the full, the whole gospel, the whole picture of the Bible, you begin to see themes and begin to understand things. And we take things out of context. So as your pastor, I have to help with that. And I have to help teach in these areas. But this is what God is saying is you must practice and teach all of it. Because the Pharisees and the scribes in those days, they would just pick and choose the things they would like to do. I like like that commandment. I don't like that one. They tithe their 10%, but they didn't love anybody. So they walked around in their fine clothes, their fine linens. You know, they probably weren't walking walking with the same strut I had this morning. Mine was more of a devil, where you at? You know, but theirs was probably more of like, you know, prideful and 
walking around like this. Yeah, I know everything. I know all the scriptures. But they had not love, which means they had nothing. It didn't matter if they tithed. It didn't matter if they gave 20%, 30%, 40%. God didn't care because they had not love. And so here's what he's calling out here, is the whole law revolves around loving one another. So if we're not loving one another, we're missing the whole thing. We're missing the whole point. We're missing all of it. We must practice and teach all of it. We are called to be models of his word. And I'll tell you, this doesn't do me any good, but more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. You know how many people, I mean, we don't talk much about parenting and our marriage, but I believe Liz and I, we model more of that probably, and you see it more than I actually talk about it. And I do believe that those things are, and it's true, it's a true statement. Things that we understand and learn are more caught than they are taught. Doesn't mean I'm going to stop teaching you, sorry. (laughs) Okay, last verse here, verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. That is sobering. So Jesus is calling out the religious leaders of the time, and he's saying their righteousness, what they believe, the reason for their righteousness is not going to get them into the kingdom of heaven. My good works, and I've given, and I've served, and I've done these things for people, and I'm a nice person, and I helped the old lady across the road, and, you know, and I went, when I was Tim Horton's last, I paid for the person behind me. I did one of those, I don't know what they call it, something fun. There's nothing wrong with those things. But if we think for a moment... If we think for a moment that our good works and our good deeds and all the nice things we've done are going to get us into the kingdom of heaven, we've missed the entire point of the Bible and the gospel and why Jesus came. We missed the whole thing. You've missed it. It is not about works. It's not about our own righteousness. It's not about what I've done or who I am or my position or everything that I've, you know, done. You know, I've never broken, I've never murdered anybody. Well, we'll get to the true definition of murder because it is in the Sermon of the Mount. I actually probably do that when I get back, so yeah. But don't raise your hand that you didn't murder anybody yet. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. Whew, that's tough. That's tough passage. Tough passage. Where's it going? Oh, we think that we, oh, you know, I follow the Ten Commandments. I, you know, I Sabbath. But if you have never if you have never received and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your righteousness is worth nothing. Your good works is worth nothing. It cannot get you into heaven. It cannot get you a relationship with Jesus. It cannot get you into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying it right here. He's calling it out. And the Bible clearly says all have sinned. All have fallen short. And the only way to get to heaven, the only way to truly have righteousness is to accept Jesus and what he did on the cross. It's the only way. So the the righteousness of the Pharisees was this. It was self-serving. It was self-serving. They're like, hey, look at me. I got power, I got money, I got all these great things. It was partial. 
Jesus called them out on. They would tithe. Oh, look, but I've tithed all my spices and my mints and my frankincense and my myrrh and my gold. I've done all, this, all these good things. Look at me. And it was external. It wasn't internal. It wasn't from their hearts. But there is a greater righteousness. There is a greater righteousness that Jesus came and paid the price for. And this is what it is. This righteousness is based on Jesus and Jesus alone. Straight up, only Jesus. Always only Jesus. Our righteousness, our ability to be clean before God and to get into heaven someday has nothing to do with our good works. Now, does that lead us to good works? Because we want to do the commands of the Bible. We want to feed the poor. We want to help people. We want to serve people. Absolutely. But all of that's an overflow and an outflow of this first righteousness, which is from Jesus and Jesus alone. And it is credited to us by faith in Jesus. It is our faith and our belief that Jesus is who he says he is. He did what he said he's done. And the cross is real. And the resurrection is real. And I believe it and I receive it. And you begin to believe in faith. And you begin to confess that Jesus Christ is my Lord. Jesus Christ is my Savior. You will enter the kingdom of heaven. Because of Jesus, not because of your works. And it is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. It is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. He continues to work on us, not just from a righteousness perspective, but a sanctification. And he constantly has us moving forward. It is worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And this greater righteousness that's based on Jesus alone and our faith in him leads us to the kingdom of heaven. Not by my works, but by his. Let's pray this morning. Sid, if you want to come back up. Oh, thank you, Jesus. If you were here in the beginning, I said that as I was doing my prayer walk this morning, one, it was chilly, but more importantly, when I asked the Lord, what is this all about today? What is our gathering time all about today? And he just said, Jesus. Jesus. That's all he said. And I believe that our time of worship, our time of encouragement, the message today is all about Jesus. Just bow our heads this morning, close our eyes. Just take a minute and focus on Jesus and what he's done for us, church. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we thank you. Jesus, we invite you in this morning into every area of our life. Jesus, we invite you in. We believe you are who you say you are. You've done what you've has been written, and we trust and we believe in you today. I just feel if there's anyone here this morning, just everyone's eyes are closed. 
Everyone's heads bowed. If there's anyone here today that says, I need to invite Jesus into an area in my life. You maybe you've already accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you say, today is the day I'm receiving Jesus. I feel that pulling, that calling. But not just that, but if you just are saying, today I'm going to invite Jesus into an area of my life that I've been holding him out on, just slip your hand up this morning. Just put your hand up high. I'll see it, and I want to pray for you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Who else? Yes, thank you. Praise you, Lord. Jesus, we just invite you in. Father, I just thank you for the boldness for those who did raise their hands, Lord. You see their struggle. You see their wilderness. You see their challenge. You see their situation. Lord, they're asking you to invade that area today. So Jesus, do what only you can do and invade that area. Jesus, we invite you into every area of our lives, into our relationships, to our finances, to our jobs, to our marriages. Jesus, we invite you in. Lord, open our eyes, Jesus, as we spoke this morning, earlier. Open our eyes. Show us, lead us, guide us by your Holy Spirit on which way to turn, what to do, what to say. Lord, our cry is this week that we wouldn't even open our mouths even one time without the Holy Spirit being the one to fill it. Father, give us opportunities to witness to give our testimony this week. Jesus, we receive you today. We receive your righteousness. And Father, we won't stop doing good works, Lord, but we understand this morning that it is not by our good works that we're saved, but only by your blood, your sacrifice, and your love. Father, I just pray that you would help us too, as you did, as we are your hands and feet, to truly fulfill the law on this earth by loving one another. We give you all the honor and the praise and the glory for it. In your precious name, amen. Amen. Well, up here, we're going to have a couple prayer teams up here. Uh, if If you guys could start making your way up even now. They're up here to pray with you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and maybe you did as we were praying. I want you to share that with them. Maybe you need prayer for healing or relationship. Whatever it is, don't rush out of here without being in agreement with someone on prayer, on some area or situation in your life. And as we close, I want to read this benediction out of Romans 16. Just receive this today. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures, made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone, To God alone who is wise be glory 
through Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen and amen. We love you guys. Have a great week. And if you're going to the newcomer lunch, uh, you guys can mingle a little bit, then head up to the Rose Center.